We are live. This is a Thursday night. My name is Tony Bruno. I want to, each of the panel um, participants to introduce themselves. We'll start with Michael Foster. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm Michael Foster. I'm a pastor here in Cincinnati, Ohio, married with seven kids. And I also do a podcast called It's Good to Be a Man that's on um, uh, biblical masculinity and topics relating to sexuality. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Tony. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for coming in. Uh, Chris Gonzo. Yeah. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I, I know what I am and sometimes I don't, uh, but a lot of the time I do art, I do, um, uh, some sort of citizen journalism sort of stuff. Uh, I have a channel called Gonzo school where I talk about, uh, different political and, you know, all kinds of personal issues that relate to people. So. Awesome. And we refer to Mantidote as man. Man, go ahead and introduce yourself. So my real name is Gene and I go by Mantidote. Anyway, uh, I am fully self-employed. Um, just in, just enjoying life, working hard. I am an aspiring husband, aspiring father. Um, really, uh, can't wait to hear what Michael has to say about all of this stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. You'll All get right. the name. Well, let's do it. Now, a couple days ago, Gonzo had put a video on his YouTube channel, which is Gonzo School. And the name of the video is Why You Stopped Being a Christian. And I had tweeted that and added Michael Foster into that tweet. And Michael Foster had responded. So I'm going to go to Chris first. Gonzo, mm -hmm. tell us why you did that video and give us a quick rundown. I did leave a link for the video in or your video in this, in the description of this right now. So, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, throughout my life, cause I grew up in a fairly, I guess a, a fairly loose Christian sort of family. Um, and throughout my life, I had seen people who'd fallen away from Christianity uh, I'd seen people who were Catholics who'd fallen away. I'd seen all kinds of people who'd been through different experiences. And I got into, uh, I got curious about why people fall away. And I ended up having a crisis myself at uh, one point. And so what I noticed is that there was a commonality between, you know, a lot of people who fall away and either it's because something tragic happens and they, they say, well, you know, why did, why did God allow that to happen? That's a common one. Uh, but even more common than that is that there's something wrong with the church. Um, and so I thought I would just kind of talk about that as briefly as I could. It ended up being a 25-minute video. But uh, um, basically, it's just a summary of how a lot of churches operate I feel, and how a lot of the mentality is going into a lot of modern Christianity and how it's not really biblical, in my opinion, um, and how it's not really uh, it's not really looking at everything that's there and taking that in, into consideration. It's very um, censored, I would say, for various reasons. But it's that censorship that keeps people away from God, I feel keeps people away from the truth. Yeah. Now, when, when you say censored, from what I got from the video is, in other words, the, 
the pastor or preacher is only telling you what he thinks he wants you to hear. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think it's either they don't know, either they don't know about it or they, uh, um, or they're too afraid to say something about it or they, they, they don't want to offend people, whatever the case may be. Okay. My grandpa used to call it tickling their ears. Mm-hmm. Michael, go ahead. I'm sure you're going to respond now. Um, sure. Well, and there's no doubt that American Christianity where it's at right now is certainly a low point, right? And <clears throat> I've, uh, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I come from a, a kind of a pagan family, kind of a mixture of ideas, a little bit of this and that. Um, I was raised by my, my Jewish grandmother part of my life. So, uh, she, she came over here after World War II. Um, Holocaust survivor and all that. And uh, that, that affected me. So I was pretty much a humanist growing up to I converted to Christianity when I was 17. And uh, I'll tell you the truth that uh, my early experiences with Christianity were not good. This one girl, I won't say her name because now I have <laughs> people know who I am these days. But this one girl was giving my, my friends oral sex several of them on multiple times. Um, and she would say, hey, why aren't you a Christian? You should be a Christian like me. And I'd say, look, uh, Betsy, uh, I don't know that Jesus wants you, if he's real, for his PR, <laughs> right? Like, like we all know who you are, and everyone's had a ride, okay? And, um, and then I would turn on TBN, the Trinity Broadcast Network, and I'd watch these folks tell everyone how they could be healthy and wealthy if they just gave 10 bucks. And I would prank them. I'd call them up and I would say, look, I understand that if I give you $10, that I'll get a thousand dollars back. Is that correct? They said, yes. <laughs> I said, well, I have a solution for all your giving problems. And what is that? Well, the solution is you give me a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to get $10 million back. Right. So just give it to me. So <laughs> I just thought Christianity was for suckers and fools because everything I saw was hip hypocritical and obviously kind of a bunch of shysters trying to take advantage of people. Uh, but then uh, the Lord in his mercy had different plans. I got suckered into going to this uh, basketball tournament and, uh, and then they had, so we played basketball, ate pizza and whatever. And at the end, this guy got up on stage and, and, and gave a sort of, altar call sort of thing. And he just preached a real simple gospel message. At this point in my life, I've always been a big reader. So I've been reading Carl Sagan and Arthur C. Clarke. I've been reading, you know, some, you know, the internet wasn't really taken off yet. I'm 40 years old. So it was just starting to, so you didn't have the access to things like chat rooms like we do nowadays, but nonetheless, I've been reading a lot of those guys. And it was, uh, I, it wasn't a deep intellectual argument. Frankly, I was just convicted by sin. And uh, it believed the gospel and was converted right there. My early experiences in the church uh, were mixed, to say the least. I can remember I would go to this service. This is actually right before I became a Christian. And there was this song. At some point, they say, Jesus, Lord, my master. And this kid, he was a couple years younger than me, would whisper in my ear, Jesus, Lord, my bastard. Like he was like some little geeky church kid. And to him, like to say bastard was like mass, like credible, incredible rebellion. And he thought it would in, it would impress me, but I was really searching at the time. And I was like, man, are all these people frauds? Is all Christianity this shallow? <laughs> like, is this all there is to it? 
And then when I became a Christian, um, thankfully, I uh, I would I would talk to everyone about Jesus, and they got sick of it. <laughs> and one night, my friends ditched me. We were supposed to go see a movie together at the Walnut Theater in Lawrenceburg, Indiana back when you would actually have your own little theater in your city. Walking home, I was praying to God, God, what is going on? And I walked up to this uh, drug drug basket, is what it was called. It was like a CVS. And uh, some skaters asked me if I knew Jesus. And I thought they were like, back then, skaters were badasses. Now skaters are like, you know. Mm-hmm. Not, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like not at all. Back, this is before like Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Like Tony Hawk was actually tough back then, right? Yeah. Things have changed, and so you never know. Like, am I about to get in a fight? People about to hit me with like skateboards and stuff, you know? Um, but they actually had just become Christians, like I did. It's a few years, be- like a year before, uh, and one of them just a couple months, and so we became friends. And I started going to Bible studies, and we started going downtown preaching the gospel, and. And uh, I grew immensely in my faith, and I saw people who were very serious about their faith, um, and 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 that shaped my entire experience. Now, from then on, I had a positive experience in church for three or four years. Deep community, uh, deep intimacy, very sincere people, working hard, taking risks, very giving, and all that. I didn't know that my experience was exceptional. That a lot of people. Uh, what they grew up in in the church is nothing like what I what I experienced. But I know that now, having been around, been in a pastor at, in three or four different denominations and different churches, and so I went here when I listened to like Chris's video and I listened to the whole thing. I, I found myself, um, you know, hearing the testimony of a lot of people who grew up in churches where folks could live like hip, hypocrites throughout the week. And then show up on Sunday and put on this big show, right? And um, and it makes you despise Christianity because people are looking for something real. They're looking for reality. They're not looking for show. No one wants show, right? Like not when, not when it's supposed to be real. People despise that. And so as I listened to what he was saying, like, uh, you know, um, some of his exegesis or interpretation of First John, I tweak it here and there. But in terms of the, the critique, uh, we're on the same page. Churches are uh, full of hypocrites. Churches are full of weak, beta male, pushover, white knights that couldn't win a fight to save their life and that they use their authority and position to manipulate and control others. And it ought not be like that. And so uh, the desire to see that reformed and changed is something I think we all can agree on. I know I do. And so that's a little bit of background with me and how what I heard when I was listening to Chris's video. Now, I'm going to ask everybody the same question. Now, Gonzo had touched in his video on a couple things. The first thing I want to touch on is you had talked about sin and how there's the Bible verse. It's John. I think it's eight something, but he says to the woman, go and sin no more. Now that probably now, Michael, you used a word that I actually had to look up. On oh, yeah. one of the was what's her. I think it was her, hermeneutical. Yeah. So hermeneutics is, is, um, it's like grammar, but applied to how we interpret scripture. And there's just some basic principles, how you would read 
the proper grammar, syntax, original languages, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. I'm going to start with sin. Now, sin to me is doing something that you know is wrong and you still do it. That's a simple explanation for me. Man, what is your explanation of sin? Sin to me would be when you do something against a religious teaching. Okay. So I think sin can look different depending on what uh, what religion you subscribe to or what, what you believe, basically. So sin to me is something I would correlate with uh, with a religion belief, with a religious belief, as opposed to a moral thing, even though you can put the two hand in hand, if that makes any sense. Okay. Gonzo? Um, I think the simplest definition of sin that I could probably give is to fall short. And I think that's, uh, you know, to fall short of a, st of a standard. <clears throat> and so that's how I would view it. So I guess you would have to determine what the standard is, right, to know what sin is. But Right. Okay. Michael? Well, I I'll pull from First John because that's where the video spent a lot of time, uh, Chris's video, um, or Gonzo, excuse me. Uh, it, in verse 4 of chapter 3 of First John, he says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So sin is any want or lack of conformity to, to God's word. So any way that you don't obey God's law in word, thought, or deed would be a violation therefore a sin right okay. now let's go into forgiveness of sin this is another thing that gonzo's video had kind of touched on as a christian do you have to ask for forgiveness every day do you think that's something we can go around the panel but is that something that that you think is necessary to me i kind of think that you shouldn't really Keep asking for forgiveness. That that almost feels like a weakness to me. So anybody want to expand, go for it. Um, well, I think that's part of my issue with, with Catholicism. Uh, I, th I feel like that's something that's kind of heavily related to Catholicism. But um, most of the issue I have with Catholicism is actually just the divine authority of the church. I don't believe there's sufficient evidence that the church has the divine authority that they claim. But um, as far as forgiving sin, I believe that God, if, you know, if you truly have remorse for what you've done and you truly want forgiveness, God knows you want it before you even ask for it. Um. And so I think if you're living this life of constantly feeling guilt and forgiveness or, or wanting forgiveness um, and you just feel the pain of guilt, I, I don't believe you have found God. Yeah, so the way I look at it is that there's a sort of initial forgiveness, this sort of um, big forgiveness where you're brought into the family of God. So you, you, you go from being an enemy of God to a mere creation, to be a friend of God, to be a son of God. And so you, you have that position inside the family by the gospel. And, uh, and you're not, you don't have to worry about losing that. My son, I love my son. And no matter what my son does, you know, I mean, I say no matter, but 
I, I, you know, I'm, I love my son. I'm always going to love him. Right. And so I know that I have the father's love at all time. Now, that being said, I do not all my actions, my word, thoughts, and deeds conform to God's law at, at, at every day. Right. So there are new sins in my life. And I acknowledge those sins as sins and ask God to forgive them so they're not a barrier between our ongoing relationship, not out of a desire to like be saved as if I'm saved through the, through by asking for forgiveness. But in the same way, like um, my wife loves me, but when I fail her in some ways, I don't want those failures or sins to, to get in the way of our relationship. So I own them and I say, I'm sorry. And I know I have the promise of forgiveness in God, in Jesus Christ, just like my sons know that I love them and accept them. So for me, there's an initial forgiveness, you know, I brought into the family, but there is an ongoing relationship that I have with God that I'm maintaining where I do just like, I own it. Like, God, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that action. Forgive me. And then I move forward in confidence. And, th- and again, going back to John, you know, I really do think that in First John, where it says that uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I do think we have like both senses there. There's a sort of initial intense sense where you're brought into the family. And now, look, God's not damning you. God's not looking on you with hatred. He's your father. He loves you. Like, I love my kids. I was watching... My kids, lately, I've got seven of them. I was watching some of my, my sons come into their own, man. I just take pleasure in seeing, like, my oldest son, we're getting ready to start lifting weights together. I'm excited. You know, God takes pleasure in me in the same way. But that doesn't mean, like, if, if my son, like the other night, uh, we've got a rule. Whenever I wake up in the middle of the night, I better see your laptop on top of the fridge. Right. We've got a three-story house we live in. And uh, I don't want you up in the middle of the night on your computer. Um, I want it on my top of my fridge, but you know, my age, Tony, you might be able to relate to this. You wake up every night to use the restroom. At least I do. Um, but, uh, but you know, when he fails me, I want him to, to say he's sorry and own it, but I love him. He, and so he can do it because there's safety in that relationship. So that's my attitude. That's how I, I look at it very relationally. Yeah. It's a good parallel. Man, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I tend to go directly on what the Bible says on how we must die daily. You know, we all we sin. You know, we're born into sin, whatnot. Uh, and with the to to answer your question more specifically, Tony, I do think it can be beneficial to recite prayers, like recite, uh, "Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner," as as a form of like prayer or mindfulness or awareness. Um, I think that can be very beneficial. But as far as like forgiveness. Yeah, you don't want to ask for forgiveness and then continue in sin. I mean, where is your heart? What, where, what, where is your heart? And that's you. Everyone knows their heart. And so, if you know that you're a sinner, you know, repent. And uh, typically, I was taught biblically in Acts two thirty eight. You know, um, and so I tend to take a more biblical approach, but I also like the idea of where. People recite prayers like, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner or whatever, just to kind of keep them present, keep them mindful. I like that idea. But does it necessarily mean you're truly asking for forgiveness? I guess that depends on who's reciting the the, the prayer. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Now, do you think and this one will be directly to Michael. Do you think people enter the church 
because they specifically want to be a part of something, even though they're not truly into it, but they want that forgiveness. And again, they still do that nine to five, whatever they want. And then on Sunday, they're so holy. Sure. Yeah. I think that exists. Um, I think there's a certain type of church that invites that mindset. I think there's ways that you can undermine it, you know. Um, but uh, that's more importantly is antithetical to Scripture. In Scripture, God, Jesus is Lord of everything. There's not a square inch on this planet over which Jesus doesn't say mine, right? He owns it all. And <clears throat> there's a story. I don't know if it's true. I think it's apocryphal but that during the one of the crusades that they would hire people to help them fight and they would go down into the water to baptize them as christians then they'd hold up their swords out of the water and as if like that the sword is not going to be given to the lord um that that sort of idea is not christianity christianity is the lordship of god of jesus over your whole life so the lord is a ruler or master and so what turns so many people off? So what people think folks want is a softer and easier Christianity. BS. That's not what people want. Churches are dying because they have no creed. They have no um, standard, no standard, no fidelity. They don't stand for it. Right. right. And a man has got to have a code. And so even when you meet yeah. a pagan man who has a code and lives by it and they do exist. You yeah. at least you know who that dude is. You know what exactly. he's about. And folks right. are in churches, and the churches are always like accommodating to the lowest common denominator. And no one wants anything to do with that. No one wants that because that's that's we know that's marketing. We know that's fluff. That's BS. So I think I think there are some people for a time that are looking for therapy, a ther therapeutic gospel that would show up to a church that tells them, "Hey, everything's okay." Mm -hmm. But people that are looking for like, what's true? What is life about? What am I supposed to be doing on this earth? Those those guys can't stand those churches. They hate them. And they'll, they'll only show up for so long. They usually get dragged along by a wife or a girlfriend. You know, mm -hmm. it's rarely those sort of men come on their own. They come one Sunday and they see it for what it is, which is a sales ploy, and they take off. Mm -hmm. So I don't doubt that those churches exist, but they get a bunch of brassy women and a bunch of uh, fluffy men. Yeah. Gonzo, you got anything to say on that? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about the forgiveness thing a little more and I realized that, um, I think, yeah, I mean, cause again, I don't know about everybody else's experience, but the type of Christianity that I grew up with, it was the kind of thing where it was like, oh yeah, you know, I mean, just, you know, everybody's bound by sin and just, uh, you know, it's just, that's just how it is. And you just ask Jesus to enter your heart and then it'll all be fine. And, you know, all these people, I would see all these people doing this and my, my life was going to hell in a handbasket watching all this happen. And I'm like, I'm like, I was like, um, you know, I was asking for forgiveness every day. I was like, I was like guilty every day. And it wasn't even because the church made me guilty because I barely attended church. Um, I was lost in my thoughts, I think, with a, with a lot of stuff. And I was just, and there was a time where I would actually, like, I would go and I would occasionally, like, you know, read through 
you know, just random passages in the Bible and things like that. But I ended up in this just kind of dark state where I was like, I was asking for forgiveness and, you know, my life was just kept going through hell. And that's uh, the worst place to be. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people I think, that no man's land mm-hmm. believing, but not really understanding. Yeah. And it got to a point where, where I wasn't like, a, I would never say I was like a full on atheist, but I started to, I started to explore every, every side of, of, uh, you know, what was out there. And so I ended up meeting a lot of nihilists. I talked with nihilists, um, of people who, uh, uh, just all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, you know, nihilism was a pretty common thing, but so I, I danced with that for a little bit and, uh, uh, yeah, I was just depressed and miserable, and I was for the longest time, and I knew that I had anger, and uh, nothing, just nothing was going right. Just nothing was going right. And so I think that's where, you know, I I forgave, or not I forgave, I, I asked for forgiveness, you know, at, at every turn I could, and it, it's not what changed my life. And, you know, I, and I did the prayer and everything, you know, uh, that they tell you, it's like, you just ask and... Um, it just didn't work out for me, but I mean, I guess you could say it did work out because you know the story didn't end there, right? Now, we, we, Michael, and everybody here on the panel, we have so many different kinds of churches, we have so many denominations. Why does somebody pick one? You know, how do you know, like, this church over here, this Pentecostal, this Baptist, this Assemblies of God, this uh, Calvary Chapel. How do you know? How does how does how does somebody know in their heart which one what is true and what's not? It's a good question. Well, my I'll tell you my thoughts is so I've been around and I've seen a lot. I, I got became a Christian in the charismatic revival, ended up in Calvary Chapel, much like you and George. And so George and I, Tony's brother connected on that. And I was in Calvary Chapel for a while. And that, that was a overwhelmingly positive experience right up to the end. And then I became Presbyterian, um, increasingly so. And just as I discovered historic theology, I read lots of old books, you know, I liked the church fathers and things like that. And, one thing that was a huge blessing is that uh, I, I've always had a diverse group of friends in terms of the church. So I, I think of the church as a tree. This is not original with me, but it's a tree and has many branches and many twigs. And so so you want to take like Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism starts in 1900s in Texas. Right. I mean, or the Azuzu Street revivals. It's not it's a it's a twig off a branch. Right. Calvary Chapel starts in the ni- late 1960s in Costa Mesa. Uh, well, actually, Santa Ana and with the uh, the hate Ashbury revivals. Um, a lot of the churches that we go to here in America, they have no history. And I think that's the or they have a very short history. Um, even the Baptist churches, the denominations we have in America only go back to the 1800s. And when you're talking about Christianity, we're talking about millennium here, right? We're talking about some serious history. Um, and so what's helpful is like, what is true throughout the ages? Like what's the core doctrine that we have to have down? Um, because there are obviously 
if you think about doctrine or teaching or beliefs, you can think about them as a series of concentric circles with the bullseye, the main thing. That's what we all are willing to go to the stake over. If a Muslim holds a gun to my head and says, recant Jesus, I tell him, Jesus is Lord, pull the trigger. I am not scared. Bring it, right? Um, if he says, uh, puts a gun against my head and says, say that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit, I might be like, I don't really believe that, but sure, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever. Like, not all beliefs are equal. There are concentric circles that go out. And so they're, they're because not all of Scripture is equally clear. Some things are black and white, and some things are grayer and grayer and grayer and lesser. So I think what we have to look for in church is basic things. The Apostles' Creed is a really good way to to just basic doctrine that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they're equal, that they're a trinity, that the three in one, same in substance, but different in person. Uh, you want to be at a church what, that preaches the Bible, not opinions. You want to be at a church that preaches against sin, but also grace. So sin and grace. But I mean, when you start getting into some of these basic things, there's still a lot of room for variation. And I've learned to differ, to be able to be in fellowship with people who I differ with greatly. Where, But we have these core things and there's this wonderful, wonderful fellowship around these, you know, shared beliefs. So I think what you're looking for are those core things. And um, yeah. that's where I would, I would point anyone you know, understand so, the Apostles' Creed, basic stuff like that. So it comes down to a personal thing with someone's personal core values. Y yeah, core values or what What says the scripture? What does the Bible teach? Like what are the, the things in the Bible that are abundantly clear, right? The things that are undeniable. So usually there's like three major areas. The doctrine of man, what does it mean to be a human being? What is the state of being a human being? Um, the doctrine of God. Who is God? What is God like? How to relate to God? And the doctrine of, sal of salvation. How do we deal with the differences between men and, and God? And those are the three things. If, if you get those things down, um, if you get those three things down, then you get to the core of Christianity. And those are the things I think folks need to focus on in the beginning because you can be at a church, if they get those things right, um, it's, uh, it's good, but if they get those things wrong, you're at, it's, it's outside. It's the pale yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, it's not. I think a big thing I'm going to say in the past, I'm going to, I'm going to say probably 20, 25 years is the non-denominational church. And it always seems to have a, like life in the word, like new life for, Fantastic Life Church or Your Life Church. So yeah. why why have so many like non-denominational? You'll see them in a storefront. Everybody has seen them. They're in, they'll start in a storefront. And a lot of them won't last long. You know, you'll mm -hmm. see people going in on Sundays and then they'll leave. So give me some opinions on the, the non-denominational churches that seem to pop up everywhere. And they have life in the in the word I've noticed. So, man, that sounds like that's right up your corner. The your corner, man. The whole life thing resonates with me a lot. Uh, I see a lot of churches, even Pentecostal churches, using that in their title. Um, it's a good it's a good thing. It's a it's a it's a good observation, Tony. But as far as like the non denominational thing, 
I'm going to have to send that back over to uh, Gonzo or, or Michael on that one because um, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm not much of a – I've never been much of a church-going person to begin with uh, for, for, I guess, for obvious reasons. But So I don't really have very many observations of, like, you know, different non-denominational churches. But uh, And, I mean, I remember early on going to <clears> – <throat> going to uh i don't even know i felt like i went to a baptist church at one point i felt like i went to or a lutheran church or something i've been to different churches uh, my family was never particular on a on one denomin- denomination so we ended up going to non-denominational churches a lot of the time and all that i really noticed was that um the churches that i went to it was just very mainstream just yep just you know just Confess your sins and Jesus is Lord. And let me cut you off real quick, Gonzo. Uh, I think that was that's kind of like the gist. Like now that now that you're saying that, I would agree. Your non-denominational churches are the churches that are going to tickle your ears, so to say. They're going to fluff mm-hmm. your feathers a little bit. They don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. They don't subscribe to any, you know, mm-hmm. any certain doctrine. It's just kind mm-hmm. of, hey, let's all come together as a community. And uh, we'll, we'll all be happy and better because of it. But uh, it's like like Michael was touching on earlier. It's it's a it's a fine line for people that are looking for truth and people that are just looking to enjoy a community. You know, are you are you leading people astray without not telling them the truth? And I would agree to that. I would I would say if you're not telling people truth, you are leading them astray. You know, to me, it's it's kind of like the come as you are churches. Now, for me, growing up, when we went to church. Even when we we're little, it'd be a suit, a bow tie. Even even through high school, we would everybody would look nice. Now it's go ahead and come in your t-shirt, your baggies, your flip-flops. So I don't know if the come as you are church to me is I don't know. It just it doesn't appeal to me. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if we're just trying to get make people feel comfortable. What you do you enjoy tradition, right, Tony? You enjoy traditions. Um, not so much as tradition, but it's like when you go somewhere and you're presenting yourself, don't you want to look your best? So now yeah. you're going to present yourself to God. Don't you want to look your your best? I mean, that's my opinion. That's what we were taught growing up. Yeah. yeah. So, Michael, what do you think about that? I so I became a Christian in a non-denominational church. But uh, <laughs> when I was at Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel would say we're not a denominational church. Neither are we opposed to such, which we always joked about because it was a non-denominational denominational church, right? Like their whole, I mean, like, come on, guys, what are we talking about here? So I, so here's how I think about denominations. So what people think is denominations divide, but that's because people don't think. Um, denominations actually unite. And so if you imagine a room full of 100 people and 50 of those people say, okay, what are our core commitments? And they work them out, they write them down on a piece of paper, and those 50 people be, join, become a denomination. Now in that room, you have 51 denominations, right? Because a non-denominational church is just a single denomination. It's one church with unstated beliefs. And why, what they like, why they like to be non-denominational is because it's a lack of accountability. They're not putting down what they believe, how they operate, the lack of, of policies and process. So there's no accountability. Yeah. Where in a denominationalism, at least in theory, 
in theory, you're like stating down, like, this is what we're committed to. This is how we operate. And, and, and not right. to say that there can't be abuse in that, but at least it's stated every church has a modus operandi. Every church has a way they do things. And it's just a question of, has someone taken the time to put it down on paper or not? So with non-denominationalism, it's kind of a baby boomer thing, right? It's that come as you are, easy live as. And, and we've seen what that's produced. It's produced uh, kids that are like the millennials and iGens are having massive problems because of the sort of like. Betrayal, right? Yeah, it's just they're weak, man. Like they're like it's yeah. it's weak. It's a disgusting, consumeristic, narcissistic, pathetic form of Christianity. And their kids saw it because their kids went they went to church on Sunday and then they went home with their mom and dad and they saw the reality of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, What the crap is this? You know, um yeah. so I, I'm not like opposed to being non-denomination to me that usually just means you're a Baptist church. But, um, but I, uh, I think I have no problem telling people I'm a Presbyterian. I love Presbyterianism. I want everyone to be a Presbyterian. I think it's right. I think it's true. That's why I believe it, but I don't believe it's like Presbyterianism is the only way I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that salvation by faith in, in the son is the only way. And, um, and that God works through a multitude of churches and there's room for disagreement. So that this is what I believe. And I think that non-denominationalism is this consumerism. It's taking Christianity and making it into a commodity to sell and profit off. And that's why a lot of these guys that are non-denominational pastors and mega churches all have a background in Fortune 500 uh, companies like PNG or whatever here in Cincinnati is PNG. You get all these guys and that's why God is like destroying them right now. It's, it's a lovely thing to watch because during COVID and black lives matter, George Floyd, George Floyd stuff, these weak, pathetic men, they can lead a corporation through it because they'll, they'll toe the line. They'll say what, what makes the most sense for the financial line. But in a church, people will say what's true. And these PR people, that, and that's what these pastors are. They're PR corporate hacks that wanted a second career in the church to feel spiritual, to do their best impression of Tony, Tony Robbins. Um, these guys, these churches are being gutted right now. And it's, it's awesome. They're being gutted because these folks in their churches, some of them are like, well, wait a second. I don't want to wear a mask. And no, I'm not racist. It's because I'm white. That's stupid. Like I always tell, I always tell people, some of my best friends are black, and I mean that the best man of my wedding, and they say to me, "Does that mean? Oh, so you think that's not? It means you're not a racist?" I'm like, "Hell yeah, that's exactly what it means." Mm -hmm. Like my friend, who I depend on, who I would trust my family with, who I see as an equal, who I look for advice from, is black. That I think he's an equal, dummy. Like, what's hard about this? And, and these guys will tow this line and people are like, wait, I'm not racist. I don't want to do riots. No, Joe Biden's terrible. These people are waking up. But these PR hacks, these non-denominationalist uh, sort of lowest common denominator approach to Christianity is falling apart in America. And for all the things that are going wrong right now, watching it fall apart is very satisfying. Hey, Michael, have you ever, you ever heard of a guy named Tony Spill in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? No, I, I haven't. 
He refused to shut his doors during the governor's restrictions, and he's taken it all the way to court. He won't wear a mask in the courthouse. That's a man. Because he's right, exactly. And I respect that with, with my whole heart. It's like, you know, he says, hey, wait a second. It's my religious belief to believe that the mask, the mask thing goes against what I believe. And it's a fearful tactic. And, and he goes on and he explains deeper into it. And he's taking this thing as far as he could take it. You know, and he's standing. He's standing by his word. He's standing by what he believes the, the entire way, entire way. And he's a representation of of uh, a lot of good things. And I think people are sort of looking at that now, like interesting. You know, you, someone's got to set the example. Someone's got to set the standard higher. You know, Amen. yeah. Too many people fold. Now, Michael, were you referring to say like the super churches? So. Usually mega churches go that route. So I, I'm not opposed to large churches, you know, in theory. I'm, 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 I want to interrupt you. You don't think that that it to me when I go to like an um, like a Calvary Chapel, we have a really big one here in town. And it's almost like it reminds me of a of a mob mentality. It's kind of like this. It's like this mob comes in. And this mob comes out. So it's, it's, it's we went to a church a couple of weeks ago, and um, so we're. I'm starting a church right now, so I just pivoted from being a pastor without a call, so a pastor who isn't actively pastoring a particular congregation. And so I've been attending a church, and I love I love the pastor of this church, but I got to tell you. <laughs> the worship songs repeated the chorus so many times, like like 30 times. My wife was like, if I was a non-Christian and I came here, I would think that they were purposely trying to brainwash me, right? Because you're just like, Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. It's over and over. <laughs> the same thing, man. And um, and when you look at this, it's, it's hard. You don't – you want to start singing like uh, the – uh, what's it? The little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made mm -hmm. of tick tacky, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like that song uh, from mm -hmm. the weeds intro. Um, it's a famous song where they, everyone looks the same and you're like, what is this? Is this work? Am I part of a factory? Is Christianity a factory where everyone is like, just like, Oh, yeah, little boxes on the hillside. Well, is everyone mm -hmm. just pushed into the same mold? Is that what's going on? And and so a lot of those mega churches, that's how they do uh, everything. You know, everything is by a mold and there's no real community. People don't know each other. And what they'll do is they'll stick you in a small group with some like guy that's had no training that asks you about your feelings and nonsense and uh, no one wants to be part of it. So I, I think like when we go to those churches, it's, it's like church McDonald's style. Mm-hmm. That's 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 kind of what I'm thinking is that mm -hmm. you when you go into these big churches, people that really don't want to identify with anybody or anything can go into these massive churches and then go out without being recognized. Basically, I mean, that's kind of what I've noticed. 
Don't you want to be offended? Don't you want to be challenged a little bit? Like, can you imagine hiring one of these guys? Think of the guys, Tony, you and I have met down at the 21 convention. Think of the, the guys that we hire as a coach to help us lift weights. Do you think any one of those would just like massage? Oh, good job. Like they would push us so hard and because they want the best out of us. They want us to grow. Can you just imagine like Bulldog or any of those guys being that way? I can't at all. But you go to churches, and churches are made for for fat, lazy, beta males and soccer moms. That's that's what churches – that's who they cater to right now. And d- don't you want to live for God and excellence? You know, and I just – and I, so a real man comes into those churches, and they're like, there's no place for me here, right? Mm-hmm. I get where I, – I get more religion in the gym. And see, that's not because the gym is great. That's because the church is failing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's kind of the word my brother uses, and I think I got this from my brother. Uh, I don't know if it's a regularly used word, which is churchianity versus Christianity. And churchianity to me is just is just going to this church to go to church. They're giving you, they're feeding you what, what you want to hear. To me, that's churchianity. Um, Gonzo, what's churchianity to you? It's the Oprah Winfrey business model. Okay. That's the best best way I can put it. Yeah. I mean, it's telling people what, what they want to hear, um, you know, tickling the ears like man was saying. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's safe. It's very safe because when you, and I've said this before, but uh, I would say Christianity as a whole is not only a very, um, of offensive religion, but it has a, a lot that's that's hard to swallow, and so, um, uh, yeah. When when you ha- when you want to be safe, there's no way that's going to be in there. You and at that point, it's like it's barely even Christianity. Yeah, I was blessed to have been brought up in a Pentecostal church where my grandpa was the pastor, and uh, he recently passed away in 2016. But to the day he died. He did not compromise or back down to anybody's feelings, but he had a heart of gold. He helped people. He loved people. But a lot of people were easily offended by the things he would say. And he would he would speak no matter what the cost. And he would tell the truth. And that's something that has left a huge impression on me. Even being a kid, just growing up, hearing him preach the same thing, pretty much the same stories over and over. Those stories become ingrained in your heart. You'll never forget them. And uh, and and that was his thing, and that was his biggest thing. We got they even separated from the UPC to start a new organization. A group of men separated because they saw too much compromise. They saw too much. Uh, they saw too much bending on the standards, and that's what my grandpa. That was his thing. Standards. You must live by a standard, and um, and that applies to men. We must have a standard for ourselves. And he, my grandpa, when he would preach, he never compromised, not once. And so I was blessed to have experienced that firsthand and I'll always be forever grateful for that. Mm, that's great. So your, your grandfather, he was a, like a Cajun Pentecostal. Cause that's a whole lot of, he's a a whole lot of personality, man. He was a country boy and he's got an interesting story. He, uh, uh, he was a, he was a insurance salesman back in what the sixties, you know what I mean? When people would go door to door nice, and he's man. got stories where he would help folks, along his, you know, thing. And he would tell us when we were kids, the importance of, uh, of, of consistency and hard work. And he would tell us how he, he 
they would give incentives for competitions amongst amongst the company. And uh, he's a father of six kids and was married to one woman his entire life. I think they got married. I think he was, I want to say he was 18. She was 17 when they got married. But anyway, uh, did very well with the insurance company. And uh, the way the story goes is he, he uh, I'm not sure all the details, but basically God called him on his heart to come pastor this church in South Louisiana. And uh, he up and, and told his his management, his his comp his company that he would be leaving the company. It would just devastated. And they would say, look, we're going to make you an offer. You can't refuse. We'll make you the vice president of the company. I'll, I'll be stepping down soon. And man, could you imagine my grandma, his wife, six kids? It's like, OK, this is how you supported our family. But now having to trust him to take the family in a whole different direction. Why? Because of his beliefs, his standards. Right. And so he declined the offer and said, no, this is this is what God called me to do. And he came on down and started the church. And that was the church that I was raised in. Uh, but uh, just a true man, you know, something that I have witnessed firsthand. And I'm forever grateful for that. Now, yeah. man, you said your 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 grandfather had a calling. Yeah. To me, that's I think that's really cool. Michael yeah. Foster, how do you, how do you, how does a man know if he has a calling? So the standard way of determining a calling is there's three evidences. So there's an internal calling, just a desire. Um, then there's the church saying that you actually possess the skills to fulfill that desire. Some some church, some group of men that say they ha they lay hands on you, right? So they confer authority to you, and uh, and then an actual opportunity. Um, for me, I uh, so I I was not <laughs> socially uh, very skilled when I became a Christian. Um, I was just getting there. I was uh, just like to hang out with my my buddies and watch kung fu fit uh, flicks and. And wrestle and play football, you know. Um, that's all I wanted to do. And um, then I became a Christian. And then my friend Kurt was teaching a Bible study, and he got really into this chick, and he asked me to fill in for him. So I was like, "All right." And then he never came back, and he married that chick. Oh, so I thought you were fill in with the chick. Okay. No, no, they they've had some kids, so okay. you know. Um, but uh, so I I took over his Bible study, and I took over his youth group. Ended up becoming a youth pastor. And that wasn't, I wanted to go to the, to Marines infantry, you know, I wanted to, to be someone that brought God's righteousness down <laughs> through the bullet, you know, but, um, so I ended up teaching, uh, a lot and being good at it, but not liking it because, you know, when you speak the truth, it costs you a lot. I got people constantly trying to cancel me, you know, now that, especially now that my Twitter is over 10,000, I got folks emailing me hate speech and trying to find out where I work and, and, uh, whatever, you know, bring it. I'm not scared of them. Um, but, uh, it is irritating and it, there's an easier life than the one that I've chosen. But I think the reason I chose it is because you just get sick of liars. Yeah. You yeah. just get sick of them. And you're like, won't someone say the truth? Like, this isn't hard. No, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's what's going to happen. Oh, I don't think that feels good. I don't care, man. 
Like that's what it, that's what scripture. I, well, I think there's multiple paths to God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus said, uh, the apostle Peter says, there's only one name underneath heaven, which man can be saved by the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12. Like scripture is very clear on all sorts of things. that are very, very unpopular right now. But yeah. I respect anyone that speaks something that's unpopular. Even if I disagree with them, I'm like, well, yeah. At least the man's got a spine, right? We'll give him yeah. that. And yeah. like I was just thinking today before I got on this, how the hell does anyone not respect Donald Trump? I don't even understand it. Mm-hmm. Like the dude mm-hmm. is a beast. This guy standing down the whole new world order, globalist, nutso thing we're in right now. Like we're in like a social revolution, socialist revolution. Like, who knows how long we'll be able to do this? This might come to an end. This might be your last one, Tony, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are monsters that we're up against. And they're lying about the election and lying about everything. And you look at a guy like Donald Trump. I know he says he's a Christian. I don't know. The whole sleeping with all of the different women thing kind of puts a damper on it. But um, but look at that lion heart, someone that's willing to stand for truth. And I think that's the problem with the church right now is that stand for what he believes, you know. Yeah, he stands for it. He's willing to go all the way. Where are those men when it comes to Christianity? Where are the prophets? Where are the men that uh, don't make suggestions but make ultimatums? Where are the men's? Where are the men always like? I hate guys that always suggest. I always tell people that the road to hell is paved with adverbs. And if you listen to people, anytime there's an L-Y on something, I was explaining to my son, if you want to know how someone's lying to you, listen to the adverb. And I, and I said, so, son, is your room clean? If you say it's mostly clean, right, you're lying. The mostly is qualifying the clean. It's not clean is what you're telling me. Mostly means you're a liar, right? Listen to the adverb. These people speak always with adverbs. They speak with suggestions. They wonder no one's willing to put their foot down and stand for something, and men hate it. Men will get behind a guy. Think of like the speeches, like Maximus, Aragon at the Black Gates. Think of any great speech, anything from Patton that makes you want to get up and fight. It's not full of adverbs and suggestions and wondering. Why can't that be in the church? You listen to Peter. He, Peter, I love Peter on the day of Pentecost. He says, you men who killed, murdered Jesus, right? He calls them murderers to the face. And at the end of the day, uh, day of Pentecost in the sermon, they said they're, they're cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do to be saved? If men would grow a pair and just bring it, we would see revival in the church. But right now we've got Geldians, which is to say men without balls as pastors in the church. And uh, until we replace those guys, and they're not hard to replace because they're cowards, um, folks are going to check out of church. They don't want to be there. You know, the old, school, the old school guys with some big balls are dying off, man. Yeah, they're dying off. My grandpa was one. He turned he turned the church over to his son, uh, which that was great. But uh, you know, the, the guys like him and those guys, they're they're getting fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer. You know, and when in a time where we need those guys more than ever, you know what I mean. Yep. That's what we're trying to do with It's Good to Be a Man. We're just trying to stir up stir up men and encourage them. You know, like yeah. you know, I think Chris has a good point. You know, um, so what happens with weak men, and we haven't talked about this yet, Tony, but I think it's when I, 
I want to bring up is when weak men get control of power, um, they they yeah. manipulate, they they guilt people, they have yeah. no clue how to motivate by inspiration and by truth. And so so I'll give you a great example. They're we dangerous. Had, they're dangerous. Oh, they're the they're the worst. They're Barney Fife, right? Barney Fife has yeah. no clues how to use a gun. He's always pointing at the badge, right? Yeah. And he's always strutting around confident. And so we got these pastors that are beta males with a badge pointed at it. And and I can think of we had this um we had this men's group that we did at one of the churches I was at as a pastor. And uh and we, we had to meet every Wednesday night for a year. It was it was kind of exhausting. And and attendance was dropping off. And the pastor really put the screws to them and guilted them, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh and attendance picked back up for like two weeks. And then it dropped back down and it never recovered because I think of like guilt manipulation as like a good pilot light. So pilot light starts something, but it can't maintain it. And mm-hmm. so when you sin, you should feel guilt, but guilt doesn't sustain anything long-term. It's not a long-term motivator. Inspiration is you got to tell a guy like, look, dude, you can't be sleeping with your girlfriend. You can't be doing that. Put a ring on it. Become a patriarch, build a family. Like you gotta, you gotta take, you got to pivot off the guilt towards something bigger. And you come to these churches with these weak men in the pulpit. All they do is guilt the hell out of everybody. Try to make you feel bad. I'll tell you right now, if you got to guilt people to give money, it's, it's you're the problem. I, I, don't, I don't have to preach sermons to beg for money. I promise I don't. If people aren't giving money, it's because they don't believe in the mission. And if they don't believe in the mission, it's because you suck at communicating it or you don't have a good mission. So get better at it, right? Yep. I always hear these guys like, how do you get your wife to submit? How does the earth get the moon to stay in its orbit? I got more powerful gravity than her. That's how, right? Mm-hmm. She stay. I don't really have to demand submission. I'm the one, I, I pull her. She follows me, right? Just like a, like a, that's how it works, man. And these guys are so weak. All they do is use guilt. So uh, Chris or Gonzo, sorry. Mm-hmm. When I was listening, I was like, yeah, yeah, guilt. And, and guilt just, it takes it out of you. It makes you not want to be there. It doesn't motivate yeah. anything. I think it that's guys as men. It does. It's draining. It makes men weak. Guilt will make you weak. If you sulk on guilt and live in guilt, you'll crumble. You'll be weak, physically weak. Mm-hmm. You will be physically weak. Amen. I love that phrase, uh, you know, when you live a life of quiet desperation. And it's just, you see it everywhere. And that's why it's the guilt and it's the, it's the insecurity and all that stuff. Insecure men, they, they piss on men. They piss on them. They scream at them. They tell them to man up, right? And man up usually means is do what I want you to do. They bark at them, right? And uh, you learn as a father, and I don't know how many kids you all got, but I I got a few. Um, You learn real quick. Um, that that's a tool on your tool belt, right? Like that's uh, just one tool there. Cause I like the way that when you step on a nail, you feel pain. I yeah. when you sin and do something wrong. I want my kids to feel guilt, but if you're always feeling guilt, so just like if you're always feeling pain, something's really jacked up, right? Yeah. Right? There's nothing right. I want to motivate my, I, I want to tell my kids like, look, here's what you can be. Let me show you something. Let me inspire you to something bigger. You know, like I'm, I'm just some white trash 
guns and rose listen guy that went to seminary got a bunch of degrees and god's used me i'm nobody but you can do this too son right you can go further than dad you know that's just i, I want to see that from pastors it inspire men to be patriarchs to to be good husbands and fathers and build up awesome businesses and then take it to this godless tyrannical government of ours and right. I think that's a that's a huge trait amongst leaders is guys that ain't full of the rah 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 motivational crap, but they're inspiring. You feel their passion. They don't need to motivate you. You feel their passion. Their passion is inspiring. Their message is inspiring. The way they live is inspiring. Amen. You know, mm-hmm. and that's why this modern Christianity has failed is because they don't lead by an example. I think if you, I think if you're truly living a a godly a Christly life, um, your life is amazing. And other people look at it and it's like, what? How? And I don't believe you have to try to convert anybody. I don't believe you have to, um, to you know, do anything like that. I think all you, like, really it's leading by example. <clears throat> I think leading by example is it. And I've talked to, I've talked to, um, you know, people my age and younger and uh, there was one case that I thought was, you know, really interesting. But this guy was saying that he didn't believe leading by example would work. He said the uh, the only way to do it, and fr- frankly, was to just burn down these businesses. You know, like what Antifa and Black Lives Matter, all these guys are doing, they're justified in doing it because that's the only way to get the message through. They are just these, and these people who are protesting and writing, they're so low that that's their only option. And I and I'm sitting here saying that's not their only option you can lead by example. And he's like, well, I don't believe the individual voice has power. And I'm like, you know, that's, you know, it's a lie. Um, because us as individuals, even though, you know, we only have so much power as individuals, we have a lot more power than we think we have. Yes. Um, what you can, when you stand straight and you like, like I think of, uh, I think of somebody like Ivan throne, like that guy, like, man, just the way he talks, like he really can. He just l- lifts you up. And, uh, you know, that I didn't know he was deaf. Did you know that? Yeah. I was on the 21 convention panel, slowly realizing Ivan's death, isn't he? <laughs> I had no clue. I had no, I just thought he was like some real ex- eccentric accent. I didn't understand. Yeah. And I then, like, they, they had text up there, like, writing out stuff for him. And then I was like, whoa, that puts a whole spin on everything. But yeah, you're right. Michael, I just did a, uh, in fact, I think the last video on my channel is an interview with Ivan Throne. And you want some inspiration? Watch this. Yeah, I'll watch it. I took it out. I saw that. That was um, something, it had dark in the title. I saw it last night. I actually uh, booked it. He helps you. His whole thing is living in a dark world. But he'll explain it within the first two minutes of that the dark world he'll help you navigate in the dark world, but it's not finite. So that's kind of what he explains. This isn't part of this show at all, but here's the funny thing about Ivan throne mm-hmm. is how happy he is. Yeah. He's always happy. I saw that guy out when I was down there in Orlando, I saw him out in the um, uh, parking lot with his dogs Mm-hmm. And just enjoying his dogs, just smiling, enjoying his dogs. And I don't know if that's his wife or girlfriend, his wife, his wife, but enjoying time with her. And uh, 
the fact that he had joy in life and could enjoy his dogs early morning, just he's just out there walking with them, mm-hmm. like all that sort of tough stuff, like that you can manufacture that, but you it's really difficult to manufacture happiness and joy, and that yeah. right away like brought a sort of um. It just validated him to me, honestly. It gave me a deep, deep respect for the guy. I mean, he's big and he's evil. he's actually been a really good friend of mine since I met him in 2018, and we just clicked since since that day. Yeah, um, just uh, a joy. We spent one night at 21, actually, till uh, till sun up, till about 7:30 in the morning, sitting out by the pool and talking. So a very Michael, I want to wrap up with this. How can you tell, how can you inspire a guy and how can you tell others to bring out that fire and inspire other men? (laughs) Well, and with the hardest question, huh? Um, You know, for me, Manhood was really tied up in having my son, Hudson. He's my eldest. He's 14. He's upstairs right now. I can hear those elephant feet of his. Um, He's my mini-me. He looks a lot like me, but he's got his mom's personality. Wanting to show him how to be a man, how to make, make make his way in the world, you know, really... motivated me and that's how I got into sexuality and fatherhood 15 years ago deeply then um I saw all these folks out there that didn't have the benefits that I had I didn't come from a great Christian family or anything or or even have a father who really knew what he was doing but I did have a lot of wise mentors that took me under their wing I'm very thankful for that I would say what I would tell you is that when you invest in a man it's like invest. It's like buying Google, like when it first went public. Like you can't believe the ROI. Mm-hmm. All I do is all my network is intense. You can't believe my network. I I know fifty millionaires. Like I could call them up right now. They're just friends. I don't need their money, but I know fifty big name pastors. I know all sorts of people. I have this huge network of folks I've just become friends with over the years, who pour into me and I pour into them. And you can't believe what you'll get back if you invest in a man. You can start. You can start an entire revolution, a reformation. And what I would tell you guys is that you can pour into yourself and you need to take care of yourself. You need to get your stuff under control and all that. But if you want to make your mark on this world, and I do, I I do, I I plan to change the whole thing. One of my kids will be emperors of this whole planet. Um, I don't know which one, but it's going to happen. Probably Athanasius, my second born. And that's going to be hard for y'all. But um, nonetheless, I want to make my mark on this world. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to invest in men. Because men, they don't need much. I was just telling someone, like, you can go to a church and you can have three gay songs that you hate. But if you give me one good song, guys will put up with it. Guy, it's amazing what guys will put up with. I'm not saying you should have three gay songs. I hate the homoerotic gay worship music of churches. But I'm just telling you right now that guys, the ROI, the return on the investment when you invest in other men is incredible. You just give them a little, like all they need is a little bit. 
and they can conquer things. And it's like no one's believed in them. No one said like, hey, um, I remember like when I first started realizing I could beat people up in high school. Like when I realized my strength, I was telling my son this, this tonight that I went from being a skinny punk in eighth grade to, you know, being team captain of wrestling and all that. Um, I didn't know my strength. I need someone to tell me, right? Men don't know what they're capable of. And they need so. Right. So I would tell you like what happens when you pour into other men, you see the ROI and then you're like, what am I doing? And so I'm at this point in my life where, you know, we all got imposter syndrome. Like I'm like, People are going to find out like how great I'm not <laughs> at some point, but screw it. How far can we push this thing? Right? Like how far can I go? I don't know. Can I get a hundred thousand followers on Twitter? Can I be on the national thing? I don't know. I'm going as far as I can and, um, and investing in men along the way. And whenever this thing falls apart, I'll be with my brothers. It'll be all right. We'll have hey, a drink a beer. It'd be cool. I have a question for you too, Michael. Do you see yourself as a father figure for a lot of other men? No, but they see more and more, you know, as this is getting gray here, more and more are seeing that. And um, this is the thing you have to realize if you're a bastard like me, is that some of us aren't, we don't have the opportunity to be the son that we wish we were. And so we have to become the father that others need. And that's, that's your lot in life. Sometimes we don't pick when we were born and who we were born to. And, um, and you just got to get over your insecurities. You just got to go for it. And my boys depend on me. My wife depends on me. People in my church depend on me. And I think I want to give them the things I want. Someday I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to be with Jesus, with Paul, with all the, the martyrs, with the father, with the spirit. Um, uh, I'll get the comfort I need right now. It's um, be who I need to be for others and God will take care of me. What a great attitude. And what a, what a great ending to this, Michael. I hey, thanks everybody for letting me I, be part of this. Hey man, I really, I really do appreciate you coming on. I know you had some busy things to do tomorrow, but I do appreciate how can everybody find you? What's the way to find you? For this, for the moment, before we all, before the great purging of 2020, I am on Twitter at This Is Foster. Um, I'm on Parlor, but Parlor's stupid, so don't worry about it. Um, but uh, This Is Foster, you can go to It's Good To Be A Man.com. Uh, we have a podcast. You'll find it on Stitcher, on iTunes, Google Play, I think, Spotify. And uh, you can email me at michaelfoster at protonmail.com. And uh, that's how you can find me. Okay. Everybody can find me, obviously, on this channel, T21Surfer Tony Bruno or Tony Bruno T21Surfer, T21Surfer on Instagram, T21Surfer on Parlor, and T21Surfer on Twitter. Man, how can everybody find you? Mantidote is my Instagram page. Please go over there and give that a follow. It's uh, I'm looking forward to putting up some great content. And on YouTube, I have a couple of videos. We'll be posting more, and you can find me at Primal Man on YouTube. Okay. So a lot of cool things. Enjoying this a lot. Looking forward to the future. Really excited and inspired. Awesome. I like that word, inspired. Gonzo? It's all gonzoschool.com. You can find everything there. 
Uh, but I'm on YouTube and Twitter, and those are the main places. So, well, everybody, I appreciate all of you coming on this panel tonight. Michael, Gonzo, man, great time with you guys, and uh, y'all have a good evening. God bless. Take care. Amazing time. Okay.